series that we put pauses on every once in a while as we look at the Christmas season together. But, but we've looked together at how it matters what you believe. What you believe really does determine uh, your place in, in this world. And there are markers, there are defining beliefs in our lives. And as we've thought about these, it really tells a beautiful narrative of the Christian life. And so I just want to work back through this. Hopefully uh, you have still got that little bookmark that I gave you. If you've not gotten one, I, I would encourage you on the way out today to pick one up. It just simply has these ten defining beliefs that we've talked about, as well as some core behaviors in our life, and, and also some virtues for us to look at. But I want us to think about these in terms of the story. I started out by simply saying to you this, that we believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the creator of heaven and earth. We also believe that this great God is a personal God who desires to be in a relationship with us and that it's meant to be forever. We believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that Jesus Christ is returning to judge the earth and to establish his eternal kingdom. As a personal God, he sent his son to the cross to die for us as a precious gift so that you and I could experience salvation through faith in Christ. And we said this very firmly. We believe that the Bible is the word of God and it is the authority of our lives that gives us understanding of this entire story. That is the basis of our belief system. We also trust that God calls us dearly loved children. And he's adopted us into his family. So this identity in Christ means that we have significance in the eyes of God. How important for us to understand. And we seek to identify with other believers with a community of faith, a church. In fact, this one, we identify ourselves with that God started the church so that we would find community with one another and to be encouraged and to build one another up. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about humanity and how we share the good news because we believe that all people are loved by God. That is such a, a foundational thing for us that as Christians, we understand that God's desires that none should perish. And so because of that, it would flow out of our mindset that God is the owner of everything and <coughs> He has the right to command our lives, but we want to utilize all that we have in good stewardship. We want to share with the world that the resources that He has given us are at our disposal for His good pleasure, for His purposes. Do you see how the unfolding of this story happens? When we believe that God, the God of the Bible, said all of this Emotion, and he's revealed his heart to us so that we might reflect his heart to the world. And so for you and for me this morning, this takes us to a unique place. I want us to look this morning at the idea of compassion. I want us to think about how wonderfully well it's been sung up this morning, the compassion of God, the heart of God. But I want us to think about this idea of God's compassion and his call for our lives for you and I to demonstrate compassion to the world. I trust and believe God's heart is full of compassion. We see it all around. The question for us is, what's in our hearts? How much compassion do you and I have? How much do we show? How much do we get our statement of affirmation? We've done this with each and every core belief. And so it'll be on the screen. Let's read this together if we can. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to those who need. Let's say that again. I believe. God calls all Christians to show compassion to those in need. As you think about this, it's such a fundamental belief that God has called you and me to 
from the Bible. If you look at the story of Scripture and you look at your own story, it is the story of God's compassion. God was compassionately moving toward you to save you, to bring you to himself. Oh, what a glorious thought when you go back to the day that you were saved to comprehend that God, long before that day, had set things in motion to reach you. That God was moving, obviously, through the cross and through the incarnation of Christ. But God orchestrated days in your life and conversations in your life and, and events in your life to bring you to a place of utter dependence so that you might turn to Him by faith. God orchestrated all of that out of a heart of compassion. He loves you. He longs for you. And his desire is that we would reflect his heart. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask and answer two questions. We're going to look together to the psalm. And uh, we'll look at Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Turn there with me, if you will. We'll come to that text in a moment. But I, here's the question that we begin with this morning. Where do we see God's compassion? Have you ever thought about that? Think around you at your life's experience. Where have you seen the compassion of God? I think the short answer is very simple. We see the compassion of God in the activity of God everywhere before the final judgment. You see, throughout the scriptures, we can see the entirety of the Bible really being a book relating the compassion of God and His kindness and His love. In fact, if you will permit me, let me just ramble for a moment through the scriptures and, and, and jog your memory of some of these things. And you don't have to turn to them. In Deuteronomy 10, 18, we see God as the father to the fatherless. He explains of himself. He is the defender of the widow. In Exodus 34, we see him after Moses has destroyed the first set of the Ten Commandments. God comes down in the cloud and says he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousand generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes their children and their children's children for the sin of their parents. And verse 8 there says that Moses bowed down to the ground in worship. What a powerful passage for us to think about. That God would reveal himself. And it's more than just one person's emotional response there as we see Moses. It's the story of all of us that God is proclaiming over all of us that his desires that he be known as compassionate and merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Think with me again for a moment as we're walking through the scriptures. Isn't it interesting that an entire book of the Bible would be centered around the story of three widows, Ruth, Orpah, <coughs> Naomi? The, the story of these women whose plight was helpless without the help of God. And God shows himself over and over again to be a God who stands up for the defenseless. They say, Pastor, you've said that in multiplied ways, the same thing over and over again. I'm afraid that in our world of fast food and fast decisions and fast information and information superhighways, that we lose sight of compassion. We move through our lives and our experience and we miss both 
moments of gratitude over that compassion, we find ourselves callous to the needs that are around us. We find ourselves almost cynical when someone comes and they have a need. And so this morning, I want us to think together about this notion of living out lives of compassion. Because the affirmation that we've made together is this. We believe that God calls all Christians to reach out, to live out compassion. Look with me, if you will, in our text. And then I want to come back and think about the ultimate expression of God's compassion, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me, let me do that even before we get to our text. I just... I can't move past this idea of how compassionate God's been. Think about Jesus at the gate of Nain. He enters the gate and there's a funeral procession heading out. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Think about the gospel account of a leper running into the very presence of Jesus, falling at Jesus' feet and saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. When is the last time that you or I were moved with compassion? And I use that language with that kind of emphasis because the Bible talks about literally battles of compassion going to the very core of who you are. He was moved far beyond the, the callousness that I find myself flipping past the channel when some conviction comes because I've shown pictures of Mount Harris children in some third world country. And I'm sitting down to a meal and we can easily turn that off and move our minds to other things. For you and for me, the compassion that God has given to us ought to be a, a, a complete catalyst for us to reflect compassion to a lost and dying world. And I'm not talking about sending money to some organization overseas. I'm talking about living out compassionate lives right here and now. There are neighbors all around you that are hurting and broken. Oh, if we really took the time to listen, even to the stories in this room, there are people here that are carrying such a weight and they are in desperate need of compassion. In fact, as we move forward on through this idea of compassion, I think it's critical for us to, to think of those words of Jesus. Matthew 15, 32, he called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion for these people. People. In that case, they had no food. In Matthew 20, 34, he had compassion on them and touched their eyes immediately and received their signs. One thing that comes loudly and clearly through the scripture is that Jesus had a compassionate heart. He identified himself with those who were outcasts, the ones who were rejected by society. If you were sick, Jesus was attracted to you. If you were hurting and needed healing, you would want to be or needed to be attracted to him. Because the Father and the Son are, are so filled with compassion, the Spirit moving in compassion, we see it clearly in all of those places. And we see it in the psalmist as we go to Psalm 82 now. I want us to look at these two verses. Verses 34. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. The whole point of Psalm 82 is a, a, an emphasis on earthly judges making impartial and right true justice because one day they'll stand before the judge. 
Brother Mark, you'll like this. Charles Spurgeon talked about this psalmist being a preacher. Listen to these words. The poet of the temple here acts as a preacher to the court and to the magistrates. Men who do one thing well are generally equal to another. He who writes good verse in psalm is not unlikely able to be uh, unlikely to be able to preach. I like this. He's just basically Charles Spurgeon was saying, watch out for singing preachers and preaching singers. But he says this, this is so good. Asaph's sermon before the judges is now before us. And here we have clear proof that all songs and hymns need not be direct expressions of praise to God. We may, according to the example of this song, exhort one another in our songs. I appreciated Spurgeon's work. He said that Asaph here is calling out sin, and in doing so, this sweet singer is not forsaking his profession as a musician. He's simply practically carrying it out in another way. Why? He's praising God by rebuking the sin that dishonors the Lord. Have you ever been convicted by a song? Have you ever found yourself to sing a, a song, I surrender all? Or Lord, reign in me? Knowing full well in your heart and in your mind, you're not focused on allowing the Lord to reign. You're holding on to some area. I'm so thankful for songs like this because the whole counsel of God instructs us in the ways of God to live our lives out as a reflection of God. Does that make sense to somebody? Wow, there would be one good amen somewhere in there. Why? I mean, does that make sense? Thank you. We come to the psalmist and the psalmist says, this is the command that I want you to live out. I want you to enact justice among those who are oppressed, among those who are in need. And as we see God's activity being that of compassion, we begin to see His desire for us is compassion. So this psalm is a reminder of God's heart toward the helpless, the hurting, the humble, the voiceless, the vulnerable. Now today I want us to do one more thing. We've asked the question, where do we see God's compassion? We see it all over the activity of God. We see it in salvation. We see the provision. We see it everywhere. We see God working and moving in compassion with a heart for the fatherless and the helpless. But the second question that I want us to move to is interesting. How do we share God's compassion? How do we share God's compassion? And just to make sure we fill in the blanks that we need to go back one. I know some people are worried about that one. But I would say this, to know God is to know compassion. I think we've made that abundantly clear. But how do we share God's compassion? I want you to look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The song that we read simply pointed us towards a reminder of God's heart. And now we're going to see a practical living out of this notion of compassion. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, interestingly, Paul's writing in almost a sixth of this letter is written and devoted toward the single subject of taking care of widows. Look with me, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, 4, excuse me. Well, let's just back up. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong place. I apologize. Let's start in verse 3. Support widows who are genuinely widows. Some translations say who are really in need. But if a widow has children and grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness toward their own family first. 
and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The real widow, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Verse 7, command this also so they won't be blamed, but if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household. He is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let me say this very quick word before we begin to look into this passage and draw out some things I think God wants us to see. I want to say this to all the widows that are in our church family. We have many widows and widowers. I also want to say to all the godly moms that are in this place that are trying their best as single mothers with the unique pressures that that brings, I want to say to you, you have a special place in the heart of God. We see that throughout Scripture. We see that God's heart here. In fact, Paul shows in this passage of Scripture one of the many places that God's heart is seen toward you as a widow or as a single mom. And I just want to thank publicly our church and our deacons for doing what they do. But I'm going to challenge you all the more. This is God's heart, so we better be doing it as well. Amen? We better take care of the widows. We better take care of the single moms. We better take care of the helpless and the hurting. And we see God moving toward those groups of people all the time. And Paul, I think, here is wanting the church to see the, the need that we have to create a culture of caring and sharing, of caring and service. And here's what I want you to see. We put this one on the screen. I want us to cultivate a life of caring and service. That ought to mark you as a Christian. I'm not just talking theory here. I hope that you see we've been talking about beliefs, yes, but it goes far beyond belief. I'm talking about belief lived out where the road meets the road in your life. Developing, cultivating a life of caring and service. And it's so easy to become callous and tainted in this world where there's so much evil that runs amok to say, well, if I give money to this person or that person, they're just going to use it for godless purposes. We walk past a homeless person and say, well, if I give them money, they're going to go buy and you fill in the blank. The reality is we don't know the place of their hearts. We need to be wise, yes. But beyond the wisdom, I think we need to develop, cultivate a heart of care service. I want you to see two or three things out of this passage. One, I want you to see that there will be genuine needs in the life of a church. Look at verse 3 again with me. He says very simply, support widows who are genuinely widows, those who are really in need. In verse 5, same phrase. This is those who are really in need. We see it again a little bit later in the passage. Those who are really in need. This repetitive phrase, really in need, really in need. Why is it there? Because there are real needs. So you and I need to develop a, a, a compassionate mindset from the perspective of love. Now we need to learn to be discerning with the provision. And God lays out what's supposed to happen. God says that a family should take care of themselves first. I would say to you, as an encouragement, a challenge, a challenge, if you have family members who are in need, you need to prayerfully look at your obligation and your responsibility to help them. So I would think that there are two primary things we'll see God's laying out for us here. One, we look for the provision that God's already laid out. God's provision is first for the family. Now, there are those who don't have 
a family to provide. And that's where the church comes in. We are God's household. We are spiritual faith family. And so we would give to those in need. It has been such a blessing just in the few months that I've been here to see how benevolent this church is. I, I just want to tell you, many of you walk away from here on Sundays and have no clue the requests that we get through the week and the demands that are there and, and the responses of our people. But you guys are amazing. I have watched you give uh, money and food and, and they help with different uh, needs in the lives of people who are hurting and hopeless and, and, and frustrated and scared. And what a joy it is that we would do that. But we need to recognize that in this life, it, it, it is easy to become cynical. So how do you know when to help? Well, these principles are very simple. One, God's provision comes first to the family. Consider first how you might help providing for your own family. You know, if you think about that, it goes back to our sermon last week on generosity. Even pagans know how to take care of their own family. They can be generous for their own people that don't know God. So I'm not talking about something that we just must learn so well, I'm going to be nice. No, we live in an acknowledgement of God's compassion toward us. And that is the posture of a Christian because gratitude fleshes its way out of our lives in caring service. So the family should be the first soul. Just a, a, a slight side note, I guess, or, or soapbox. If you think about how in biblical times people were cared for, a, a woman, a bride, would bring a dowry into marriage. And that dowry was kept in that dowry that was kept was set aside so that if something happened to the husband, she would be provided for. Well, I don't know about you, but in my marriage, that wasn't the case. Stephanie didn't bring a dowry into the, the marriage. She's brought much more than that. I mean, go ahead and say that to make sure I see that in hot water much later. But it's my responsibility as her husband to care for her. And if the Lord were to call me home, I need to care for her. Would you agree with that? Yes, sir. Yes, she is mine and my responsibility. You know that there's an interesting solution to that, men? It's called a life insurance policy. Now, you think that that sounds trivial or funny. John Stott, who is one of my favorite commentators on Scripture, actually wrote about this passage of Scripture and said these words. This verse tells us it's a fundamental Christian duty to provide for our relatives. This is plain biblical warrant for a life insurance policy, which is nothing more than a self-imposed savings plan for the benefit of our dependents. Why do I say that? As Christians, why do we not live earnestly? I've heard more people in the last three or four days than you knew that I was going to have to speak to this somewhere. I've had friend after friend after friend asking me if I had bought a what? A lottery ticket. On the record. No! I'm trusting God for my provision, not Powerball. And I can do math. So it, it just doesn't work out. But the reality is there, there's such longing for stuff in this world. And come back to what I said last week. Live from the fingertips, acknowledging that God is the provider of everything that you have. He'll meet your needs. And, and maybe it's fun for you to think about what you would do with 800 bazillion dollars or whatever's left in this thing these days. But the reality in your life and in my life is that we need to trust the Heavenly Father and that we need to be wise stewards of all that we have and we need to care for our own. But beyond caring for our own, we need to be wise and caring for others because there is 
don't know if I can give money to that person if they're trustworthy. Well, the reality is this. You need to be discerning and you need to trust. But he goes on and he deals with this issue in just a moment. He, he says there's a clear distinction of a widow who is trusting the Lord and a widow who is squandering things. And I would say the second provision is very simple that you need to understand. God's first priority is through the family, but his first priority is also godly life. And so I would say it this way. The church should not give in any way that will support or enable a godless life. Wisdom asks, what provision has God already made? And what commitment has that person made toward God? I think back to the life of Jesus. Jesus, in the agony of the cross, in the appointed moment where John and Mary are there. And he speaks to both of them. And it says that from that time on, this disciple took her under his care. I, folks, hear this. That's your God. Even in the middle of the greatest hour of his suffering, he was caring for his earthly mother. Many of you are caring for aging parents or aging grandparents. <coughs> you do recognize that in the scripture passage, it says very clearly, as you do that, you please the heart of God. You are paying back, oh, in, in some respects, all of the kindness that they've poured into your life. But I would commend you that Jesus demonstrated that in his own human life. But I want you to know this. There are going to be people in this life that will have worries of their own, and their worries will pull them away from any sense of care for you. Maybe that's been your experience. My friends are too busy to help me, Brother Scott. Let me tell you this. We see on that moment alone that Jesus is never too preoccupied to help, to minister. Why? Because he's a God of compassion. And there on the cross, he's reaching out. What a powerful thing. Well, we, we move forward and we're going to wrap this up. Here, here's the thing. There will be times when God provides through the family. There are times when that doesn't happen. It can't happen. So he, he provides through the church. That's the teaching that we have before us. To live lives of compassion. You say that is a, a simplistic message, Scott. But I'm going to challenge you even more this morning. On an individual basis, some of you will go away and say, our church is doing benevolent things. Our church is doing compassionate ministries. And we are. Between water wells and feeding programs through our international mission board to hospitals for BMBMI and other mission organizations to church planting, we are meeting the needs of people in compassionate ways. But you individually, who will you experience, who this week will experience the kindness of God through you? Be intentional this week. Are you prepared to meet the needs of others? Is your mindset right for that? What do you mean? Brother Scott? Well, I believe this. I've given you three declarations at the end of the message that I want you to look at. This is sort of the, the action steps for this weekend. I believe that I'm responsible before God to show compassion to the sick, the imprisoned, the helpless, and the hurting. It's not my job to give you the application, but I can give you suggestions. We have a lot of members who are in assisted living uh, facilities around this city. Why don't you go visit one, write a card this week, minister in some way. Why don't you, at the very starting point, pray for them? Compassion. But it takes intentionality. Who is going to experience the kindness of God through you this week? You see, I, I, I just believe we live self-absorbed lives. Secondly, 
I believe that I should stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Maybe, just maybe, you need to begin to recognize there are causes around you. Those that are in human trafficking situations, uh, abortion and other issues where they're defenseless, orphan and foster care. There are people in desperate need. How are we going to help? We can't meet every single need in every single place, but we can meet the needs that are in front of us. And we do that by developing the right concept of compassion. And the third one I want you to see is this. I believe that Christians should not purchase everything they can afford. So, well, hold on, Brother Scott. Now you remember. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me read this declaration. I believe that Christians should not purchase everything they can afford so that their discretionary money might be available to help those in need. Go back to a question I asked a moment ago. Are you prepared to meet the needs of others? You see, being prepared to meet the needs of others means that I live a life with a compassionate mindset. Ready. Do you remember last week the definition of generosity? One of the Greek words we used is skoleo. It's scope. It's like looking through binoculars. Ready. On the lookout trying to find someone that I can bless. We live our lives saying, what would I do with half a billion dollars if I won the law? What I need to be saying is, who can I bless today from the abundance of what God has given me? Compassion. I wrap this all up by simply going full circle. Where do we see the compassion of God? most clearly in the cross of Calvary. As Jesus Christ gave selflessly, sacrificially, so that you and I might have eternal life. This very day, our challenge is to live compassionate lives. It's to say, I really do believe that that's my calling. God's placed that upon me. It's God's character, our calling. You respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the example of compassion that we have throughout Scripture, especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for this call that we are privileged to be a part of as your body, the extension of compassion to others. Lord Jesus, if there's someone here today that's never experienced the transforming power of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died in our place, Or if there's someone here that's far from you and their desire, even this morning, has been uh, drawn toward you, God, give them the courage to step out into the aisle and to see you this morning. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that the decisions that are made here will bring you on in Jesus' name. We're going to remain seated and sing.